Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful. And may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our lectures in this series entitled Life, the Islamic Answer. And a special thanks and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward those who have traveled physically today despite the uh, beautiful snowstorm that we currently have here. So without spending too much time on the recap, the last time that we met, we began uh, delving a little bit into the consequences of intentions and sincerity. And we said that we want to look at them both for this world and for the next world. And part of the consequences that we looked at was the first category that we simply refer to as success in the world. And we said the way to explain this is that as people have the right intentions in this world, this is going to work at a number of different levels. The first one is that you're going to be able to better plan, to better prepare for what you're trying to do. And this in itself is going to lead to a higher likelihood of success. We can call that the material causes and they're available to everyone. But beyond that, to have the good intentions or sincerity and why does it lead to success for instance is that there is an additional psychological benefit the psychological benefit of for instance having a clarity of the objective that's one we said that it's going to add motivation and incentive and desire towards achieving a goal because you're so clear about it and it also leads to the whole discussion around being positive, having a positive attitude, an optimistic attitude. Uh, and this usually should also lead to a greater likelihood of achieving success. And there's also social factors, and some of the ahadith referred to them as well, in that people generally want to associate with someone if they notice that this person seems to be sincere in their efforts. That's one. And... Uh, not only will they want to help and associate, but they will also be more forgiving if they notice any shortcomings, any mistakes, and so on and so forth, and they are bound to happen. And we said that there was a little bit of time we spent on this whole notion of the law of attraction, where we said not to fall into this type of thinking, which is increasingly popular nowadays. Then the next, we move to the next category of consequences. We call them the spiritual consequences or the spirituality of sincerity. On some of the hadith, we're very clear that one of the spiritual consequences of sincerity or good intentions behind an act is that they multiply the actions, the deeds, they make them grow. Zakat al amal, right? So, the deeds grow, they multiply in quantity and quality with the right intentions. That's one. We also talked about the notions of wisdom and spiritual insight, hikmah and basira, right? And we saw a number of ahadith, the, the person who is sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for 40 days, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the 
springs or the streams of wisdom uh, flow from their heart and onto their tongue, onto, into their speech. That's one side. Uh, and on the side of Basira, we said that this is a type of spiritual insight or spiritual enlightenment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guarantees to those who uh, work through sincerity, who are focused on sincerity and good intentions. And as a secondary, of course, we're not covering everything. I'm skipping just to the highlights here. Uh, one of the highlights was also that um, it allows the person, because of this basira, to stay away from anything that is unbecoming, anything that is disgraceful, anything that should not, ought not to be done by anyone. And we saw the different levels of someone staying away from something that is disdainful, for instance. And perhaps one of the biggest categories that we looked at, one of the most important under the spirituality of sincerity, we said is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when someone is sincere, they act really with sincerity towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes it upon himself to manage the affairs of that person. And so they will take care of the not only the otherworldly affairs of that person, but also the affairs of that person in this world. Right? And we saw a number of hadith related to that. So inshallah, today we continue with this. We'll see if we have time to finish this at least topic of the consequences of sincerity, spiritual consequences of sincerity in this world and the next. And inshallah, we have time. We don't have a lot of hadith related to how do we achieve sincerity. We've touched on this topic in a number of hadith already, so we won't repeat those, but we'll add a couple of insights that we get from some of the hadith uh, that we can look at to help us try to achieve a higher level of sincerity, some of the means towards that. So continuing with the idea of the spirituality of intentions and sincerity, I want to go back to this notion of success that we talked about. So here it's the idea is simply, and we won't repeat all the hadith there, this is a different hadith than the ones we looked at. The idea is that the intent or the sincerity that we have carries a certain power, right? And we see the ramifications of that in our lives. So the hadith from Imam al-Sadiq says, مَنْ صَدَقَ لِسَانُهُ زَكَى عَمَلُهُ وَمَنْ حَسُنَتْ نِيَّتُهُ زَادَ اللَّهُ فِي رِزْقِهِ Which is the, the, the main objective from this hadith. وَمَنْ حَسُنَتْ نِيَّتُهُ زَادَ اللَّهُ فِي رِزْقِهِ وَمَنْ حَسُنَ بِرُّهُ بِأَهْلِهِ زَادَ اللَّهُ فِي عُمُرِهِ So the Imam says, the one whose speech is truthful, his deeds will grow. And the one whose intentions are good, God will increase his sustenance, his rizq. And the one who displays great kindness towards the members of their family, God will prolong their life, his life. So the first point related to this hadith is that, and we're starting with this hadith for a number of reasons today. The main point that I wanted to highlight is that this hadith is a very good example of a principle in our religion and we see it across hundreds if not thousands of hadith and this is the idea that everything that we do, everything we think, every state that we have has consequences. 
those consequences may not be known to us. In fact, these ahadith are very clear that the consequences that we may think of are usually material consequences. Those are the ones that are accessible to us. Those are the ones that we can discover. But there are other types of consequences to everything you do, to everything you think, to every state that you have. Those you cannot discover on your own. And in fact, this becomes a point by itself on its own. We don't necessarily call this one of the purposes of religion. This is not the main purpose for which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals its religions. But it's certainly one of the big benefits of religions. That they uncover these laws to us. We don't know what else happens when I have good intentions. When I have sincerity. When I'm good to family members. Or when someone is truthful. I don't know these things. I can come up maybe with conjectural conclusions. But I can never know. I can't put this in a, in a lab and do experimentation on this. So you have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through revelation, through an additional source of knowledge, tell you about these non-material, immaterial laws that we cannot uncover by ourselves. Okay? So here there's a clear principle that everything you do has a consequence. These consequences cannot be known by themselves. On, by the, uh, in themselves unless we have some sort of special access to uncovering what those laws are okay there are existential conclu- uh, repercussions to everything you do everything you say how you behave how you are in this world so that's the first point the second point is that how come is it that we say for instance someone who is truthful they're Actions, their deeds are going to grow. Zakah amalu. Man sadaqa lisanu, zakah amalu. How is it that we can say that? There, so there's two very quick points we can add. The first one has something to do with, let's call it psychology. First of all, if you are absolutely truthful in everything you say, psychologically, this should eventually make you hard, work harder and better. Because if you talk about anything you do, who you are, what you do, what you encounter, what you think about, it means that you actually have to step up and do the work in order to be able to talk about it if you are truly truthful in what you say. So that in itself is going to be a motivation. Just like, remember the story of that person who came to the Holy Prophet and he wanted the Holy Prophet to teach him religion in a very practical way. The Holy Prophet told him, don't lie. That's it. The only instruction the Holy Prophet gave, gave him was, do not lie. So the man left happy that this religion is so easy. And then every time he encountered something, he started thinking about, okay, but I can't do this because I'm going." To, the Holy Prophet told him and come back to me in X number of days. And every time he thought about something that he usually does, he thought, well, the Holy Prophet's going to ask me about this and I can't lie. He's going to tell me, did you pray? Well, I have to pray, so I'm going to go pray. Did you drink? Well, I usually drink, I'm going to stop drinking. And so on and so forth. That was enough for this person to go back to the Holy Prophet and tell him, I understand your religion and I understand why you told me. Don't lie. And that's it, I've accepted this religion. 
Okay, so just the fact that you are fully, fully truthful, which includes being truthful with yourself, but someone who is really truthful, that in itself should motivate you to become a better person. If you want to openly and truthfully talk about who you are, what you do, what you think about, you know, the work, the anything that you touch, your projects, whatever it may be. Okay, so that's the first point. The second point, of course, has to do with the spiritual dimension of this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying He will multiply it. So there's a spiritual unknown. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said so. Okay? Why do these deeds multiply? We also already looked at a number for that second statement. The one whose intentions are good, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will increase his sustenance. In general, we looked at a number of ahadith that talked about becoming more successful, and we saw a few examples of this. This one is another specific type of example that we simply called success. Success in this world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, the more sincere you are, the better your intentions are, the more I will reward you with more sustenance in this world, more rizq. And of course, rizq is not limited to money. It could be anything that you consider to be beneficial to you. It could be spiritual, and it could be material, and it could be social, it could be anything that you consider of benefit to you. That's all rizq. Okay, so I, th- I think we saw a number of hadith here uh, related to this. This is one clear example of a specific category of an increase in rizq, specific category of success. And the last point here is that, of course, simply notice when the hadith says, and the one who displays great kindness towards their family members, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala extends their life. Okay, this is something very well established in our religion, and the opposite is true as well. Okay, so if any mending needs to be done, we have the holiday season coming up. To, to use up that use up that uh, that as a good excuse to rekindle, pick up the phone, talk to people, send an email, whatever it may be, just so that you can at least say, "I have a good relationship with my family members, close and far." The next hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam. So this hadith, Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, narrates it from the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa There's a whole story, inshallah, one day we, when we talk more about Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, this is something that he was attacked with during his lifetime. Because he would say the hadith, and so they started questioning, uh, how come do you say the hadith without giving us the senad? And one person came to the imam, and the imam would teach or would say the hadith, and he would tell the imam, give me the senad of the hadith. Tell me who was, who's the chain of narrators. So the imam told him point blank in one, one time deal. He told him every word that I utter and every saying that I say is taken from my father, from his father, from his father, from Ali ibn Abi Talib, from Rasulullah, from Jibra'il, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. So, uh, so th- this was something that the imam would be attacked on for a number of reasons. One of them is that he simply seemed to have too much knowledge to know all of this by heart with their senad. So this is one way to attack him, directly or indirectly, to attack the imam. This would happen, so the imam would respond this way. In any case, this hadith the imam narrates from the Holy Prophet He says, مَن تَمَنَّا شَيْئًا هُوَ لِلَّهِ تَعَالَى رِضَى لَمْ يَمُتْ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا حَتَّى يُعْطَاهَ Whenever or the one who wishes for something 
that is going to invoke the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you wish for something that you know is going to guarantee that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's a guarantee that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is satisfied with this, is happy with this, and you wish it, you want it, you will not depart from this world, this person will not depart from this world until that thing is granted to him. So there's this, a condition here. The first condition is that this is actually for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You desire something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for God's pleasure. So in other words, there's two conditions that have to be met. That the thing you're desiring in itself is good, it's something that pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you are desiring it for reasons that please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not something that pleases Allah in itself, but I'm desiring it for my own selfish reasons. Okay? For my own reputation, for my own wealth, for my own whatever. I desire it for the reason. The reason being, I seek it because I know this is going to get me Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure and happiness and satisfaction. So this is where, you know, I remind people and myself, aim high and think big. These hadith, there's a lot of them. It's not one or two or three or five or ten. The ones we looked at, there's over a good dozen, maybe a couple of dozens we looked at, that constantly keep saying, if you aim for something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is happy with, you will achieve success. Okay? So secure those conditions, examine your intentions, make sure that you're aiming for those things for the right reasons, but then aim high. Think big and try to achieve that. And so, of course, there's a condition of sincerity, which always means, and we saw the hadith about this, you have to do the hard work that goes with this. But if you fall short, you will be rewarded for it. And this can be understood in different ways. One way is that you will actually see the results of this in your lifetime. Another way to understand this is to say, perhaps this is done indirectly that you understand before you leave this world one way or another that you were rewarded for that which you were aiming for. And perhaps you will even be shown or made to understand before you leave this world, it could be at the moment of death. You leave this world with that happiness, with that pride, with that sense of achievement that you reached what you were trying to do, even though you may not see its consequences Right now in the world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may show you those consequences of what will happen with what you try to do in a few centuries, in a few generations. Elsewhere in the world, what will happen with this? So long as you did it with the right intentions. And we believe that this was the case with the imams, with the prophets, with other people. And this doesn't come from nothing. You have a solid belief, unshakable belief that none, nothing that you have put all the good that you have put in this world, nothing is lost if it's done with sincerity. Nothing is lost. Okay, and we will see more of these hadith. This is the test. Do you actually believe these words or are you doubting? This is where you have to examine your level of belief in this because the world is sometimes a very difficult place where you see that there's constant struggle to do good and it's always met with injustice. It's always, it seems to be met materially 
it seems to be met with failures, right? And that's the history of humanity, the history of prophets, the history of imams. But the truth is, the good, is it happening in the world or not? You have to look beyond the material means. Okay? Let's go to the next hadith. So another consequence, and this is another category that we can very quickly go over, but I thought that I would at least look at a few hadith there related to the consequences, to the spiritual consequences, is that nothing stays hidden at the level of intent. So intentions are hidden. They are deep within us. But they're not so deep that nothing leaks out. It shows. In fact, it's more than it shows. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make sure that it shows in this world. Before the next world. There's no question about the next world. That's the entire purpose of the next world. The intents, those things that are inner and secret and hidden are going to be revealed, uncovered, exposed. But what about this world? So here are a few ahadith related to this topic. And so here, of course, look at the ahadith and you'll see that this is a general rule. It's not limited to having good intentions, and it's not limited to having bad intentions. Okay? So it works both ways. The first hadith, and I will add one thing here so that we, we don't repeat it too much. Starting from here, notice the warnings that we're going to find in the hadith related to hypocrisy. Since we're talking about sincerity, and I'm trying not to extend the topic too for too long, so that we don't add a few lectures just to talk about hypocrisy, you find it here directly in the hadith, okay? So we don't need to repeat the uh, the lessons for this. Imam Sadiq alayhi salam says, مَا مِنْ عَبْدٍ يُسِرُّ خَيْرًا إِلَّا لَمْ تَذْهَبِ الْأَيَّامِ حَتَّى يُظْهِرَ اللَّهِ لَهُ خَيْرًا وَمَا مِنْ عَبْدٍ يُسِرُّ شَرًا إِلَّا لَمْ تَذْهَبِ الْأَيَّامِ حَتَّى يُظْهِرَ اللَّهِ لَهُ شَرًا so whenever a servant secretly carries a good intent, the days will not pass until God makes uh, good manifest for him. You have good intentions, you have righteous intentions, that righteousness, that good, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it manifest. And so this is something hidden, this is something secret. The Imam says, with the passing of time, wait for it and it will happen. Those good intentions will become known. They were secret. You had sincere and good intentions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make those known. And the opposite. And whenever a servant secretly carries an evil intent, the days will not pass until God makes evil manifest for him. Okay? So, this clearly, I think, it goes back to the ahadith that we saw that intentions are not empty. They have repercussions. They have consequences. Something is happening at an existential level in the outside world based on what we intend. Okay? So this is where we always link back to, therefore, 
we have to also think when we talk about discipline, when we talk about purity of heart, spiritual purity, we have to think about having a little bit of control, having a little bit of discipline over thoughts, ideas. Does it mean that you have committed a sin if you have thought something? No, it's not a sin. We saw the ahadith. They say so long as you have not committed the sin, then it has not been registered against you as a sin. But does it mean that it is without consequence? No, there's still a consequence. The consequence may not be that it's registered against you as a sin. There's no them. You will not be punished in the afterlife for this. But can you still think something, something evil? You don't do it. You don't act on it. And think that there's absolutely no consequence? No. That would not be fair. Because there's someone somewhere who controlled their thought and their thinking. They, of course, cannot be equal to the person who was too weak or ignorant or lacking the discipline and they could not control their thoughts, for instance, their intentions. Okay? So this is only part of the fairness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that all of this is recognized. And of course, we always come back as a reminder and say, when we look at these hadith, please don't fall into the trap of the law of attraction thinking. Okay? All of this is through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why the hadith is clear. يُظْهِرُ اللَّهُ لَهُ خَيْرًا It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who's going to make the good become manifest because you had good intentions. It's not the universe. And it's not some random force or law or some blind energy. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a personal God who knows me intimately, that I can worship, that I can talk to, who sees me and who hears me. This is very different from saying the universe. Okay? The next hadith, and again, see the warning in hypocrisy. Once again, Imam Sadiq alayhi salam says, عن عمر بن يزيد قال إني لأتعشى مع أبي عبد الله عليه السلام إذ تلا هذه الآية بل الإنسان على نفسه بصيرة ولو ألقى معاذيره So the Imam said this and then he said I'll read it in English in a second يا أبا حفص ما يصنع الإنسان أن يتعذر إلى الناس بخلاف ما يعلم الله منه إن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله يقول من أسر سريرة ألبسه الله رداءها إن خيرا فخيرا وإن شرا فشرا So this companion of the Imam he says I was having supper with Imam Sadiq alayhi salam when he recited this verse بل الإنسان على نفسه بصيرة Indeed the human being is a witness over himself even though he offers excuses so the Imam said, Oh Aba Hafs, what is the human being doing trying to please the people or trying to seek the approval of people against what God knows of him? So this is the case of someone who is inwardly, spiritually, at the level of their intent, at the level of their intentions, it does not match what they show people. 
They claim to be good. They pretend to be good outwardly for the only reason of seeking the pleasure, the approval of the people. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that this is not what this person is carrying inside their heart. So the Imam says, what is the human being doing trying to please the people against what God knows about him? Okay, so this person is doing two things wrong. First, they have wrong intents. Secondly, they're claiming to be a good person, not carrying those intents to please the people, to get their approval. So the imam is saying, what is the human being trying to do here? After reciting that verse, that the human being is going to be a witness against himself. Right? You will be made to witness against yourself. Your watch, you're holding watch over yourself. And it will be revealed in the afterlife. Even though you may come up with all sorts of excuses. At the end, you're testifying against yourself. Okay? And then the, the imam added, the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used to say, the imam said, whenever someone intends something in secret, God makes this person wear it. So that secret intent is now made to be worn. It's something that you're wearing. You don't see it, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making you wear it like a garment, right? مَنْ أَسَرَّ سَرِيرَةً أَلْبَسَهُ اللَّهُ رِدَاءَهَا إِنْ خَيْرًا فَخَيْرًا وَإِنْ شَرًا فَشَرًا Okay, like a garment. There's another way to understand here, رِدَاءَهَا so that its return comes back to you. So if good, then good, and if evil, then evil. So in short, nothing remains hidden. And the idea that our intentions these intents are going to remain hidden, secret. The imam says, you're actually wearing them like garments. They're right on you. And they're right on you in this world, in the afterlife. In fact, we've talked about this, especially in the belief series. We said it looks like in the afterlife, we are nothing but a pile of our intentions in the afterlife. That's what we appear as. That's our true form, our beliefs our intents, our ideas. That's who we truly are and that's what we will come back as in the afterlife. Okay, the next hadith. Once again, notice the warning against hypocrisy, against nifaq. Imam Sadiq salam says, مَنْ أَرَادَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ بِالْقَلِيلِ مِنْ عَمَلِهِ أَظْهَرَ اللَّهُ لَهُ أَكْثَرَ مِمَّا أَرَادَهُ بِهِ ومن أراد الناس بالكثير من عمله في تعب من بدنه وسهر من ليله أبى الله إلا أن يقلله في عين من سمعه. Okay, Imam Sadiq alayhi salam says, As for the one who strives for the sake of God with the little deeds that he performs, God will make it seem for him to others that's the part that is not said here, but we understand it from the second part of the hadith. It, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take that little deed, those little deeds that this person has, and He will show it to people as though they are much. They are abundant. Or as the hadith says, أَكْثَرْ مِمَّا أَرَادَهُ بِهِ 
more than what he had hoped for, more than what he had aimed for. And as for the one who strives for the sake of people, with the abundant deeds that he performs. Now this person, the second person, has a lot of deeds. And the imam adds to it. He says, and despite the exhaustion of his body and the sleeplessness of his nights, this person performing such deeds, God refuses but to make it seem little, all these great deeds, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make them seem little in the eye of those who come to know about them. This hadith brings us back to the hadith that we looked at from Prophet Musa alayhi salam, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to him and tells him, if it is done for me, then a little bit is a lot. And when it is done for another, then a lot is a little. Okay, so that's one. The other hadith that this brings us back to is the number of a hadith we looked at last time we met that were basically saying you fix the relationship, you improve the relationship between yourself and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah will improve your relationship or will take care of your relationship with everyone else. You do all everything that you do so that you have a good reputation, so that you have fame, so that people like you, so that people recognize you. You can get all of that. But don't go after it directly. Work with sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if this is what you're fighting your ego against, but this is what you want, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give it to you. But everything you do has to be with sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of the rest. Do it for God and the rest will come. Allah will take the little that you do and He will show people that it is a lot. Is this not what you're trying to do? Otherwise, you will do a lot and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make that a lot look like little in the eyes of everyone who knows about it. The next hadith. So one way to understand the spiritual consequences with something tangible, with a tangible explanation from our imams. We keep saying that these intentions that we have, they have existential consequences in this world before the afterlife. Okay? So from Imam al-Kadhim alayhi salam, an Abdullah ibn Musa bin Ja'far an Abi alayhi salam qal, so this is the son of Imam al-Kadhim alayhi salam. He's talking, he's asking his father. Qala sa'altuhu anil malakain. هل يعلمان بالذنب إذا أراد العبد أن يفعله أو الحسنة؟ So the Imam answered فقال ريح الكنيف والطيب سواء I'll repeat it in English قلت لا قال إن العبد إذا هم بالحسنة خرج نفسه طيب الريح فقال صاحب اليمين لصاحب الشمال and then the Imam says, So this is the son of Imam al-Kadhim alayhi salam. He says, I asked Imam al-Kadhim, his father, about the two angels. 
Al-Malakain. <clears throat> Do they know about the sin or the righteous deed whenever the servant intends to perform it? So the person, the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not performed a good deed or a bad deed yet. He's asking, do they know when we intend to perform something good or something bad? This is in link to this whole discussion we've been having about existential repercussions of the, and this is, we're focused on the spiritual, existential repercussions of the intents. So he said, the imam asked me, when I asked this question, do the angels know when we intend to do something good before we do it or something bad before we do it? So he asked me, are the odor of the toilet and the odor of a perfume the same? He said, I said, no. He said, when the servant intends to perform a righteous deed, his breath comes out as a beautiful fragrance. So the angel of the right tells his companion of the left, leave, for he intends to do a righteous deed. You know, you can take your break. And when he intends to perform an evil deed, his breath comes out as a repugnant stench. This is just from your intent. So the angel of the left tells his companion of the right, stop, you don't need to write anything. Why? Because he intends, for he intends to perform an evil deed. Okay, there are little parts of the hadith that I skipped over. So there's definitely a link with the hadith that we looked at here, first of all. And clearly, this is part of the existential outcomes. This is the stuff that we've been talking about, that there's nothing in our world that will allow us to know these things. This is where you see one of the benefits of religion. I cannot know what these angels are smelling of me unless the religion revealed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives me this different additional type of another source of knowledge that tells me this is happening by the way you should know about it some people this knowledge alone is going to be more than sufficient to make you change how you are how you act how you think what you intend to do if you know that these two angels on you are smelling this from you when you're about to do something good or about to do something bad Okay, And of course, there's a link here with the whole discussion of Basira that we had. This is something that we can maybe aspire to. Because these things, this is not a metaphor that the Imam is giving. The Imam says this is what's actually happening. We don't have access to it. We're stuck in our material dimension, in our material entity. If we're able to purify ourselves enough, we get closer to healing this, to seeing this, to feeling, to touching, to smelling, to seeing the world in a very different way. This is part of the basira that we talked about. The higher up you can go in your level of sincerity, the closer you go to starting to see the world as it truly is. Whether it's directly or indirectly, these are different types of realities. You're not going to see it like you see with your eyes. You're going to see it with your heart. But this is not something you understand with words. 
right? It's something you have to experience. No amount of words is going to explain this to you. The next uh, hadith, there's a couple of hadith here. Very quickly, I thought, given how abstract the topic is, two hadith that I thought very quickly, they can become the practical test for ourselves when it comes to sincerity and purity of intentions. Okay, so if if ever I'm in doubt about myself, here are two quick tests taken directly from a hadith. The first one from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam who narrates this from Imam al-Baqir. He says, مَنْ كَانَ ظَاهِرُهُ أَرْجَحْ مَنْ بَاطِنِهِ خَفَّ ميزانه. أرجح can be explained in different ways, but simply put, uh, the one whose outer self, public self, is better than their inner self, their hidden self, then their scale shall be light. Which scale? The scale of the afterlife. If your outward personality, if what the world sees of you is better than what's truly going inside, then your scale is going to be light. So that's the first test. No one can help you with this. You're on your own. Okay? The second test. Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, this one from the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. So the Holy Prophet said, Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam said, the Holy Prophet said, مَا زَادَ خُشُوعُ الْجَسَدِ عَلَى مَا فِي الْقَلْبِ فَهُوَ عِنْدَنَا نِفَاقِ Whenever the humility of the body is greater than the humility of the heart, then to us, the Holy Prophet says, in our religion, this is hypocrisy. This is nifaq. If the humility of the khushu' of the body is greater than the khushu' of the heart. Okay, once again, no one can help you with this. There are a hadith. So here there's a caveat or a condition that is perhaps not met. There are ahadith that talk about the importance of working towards khushu'. When you read the Holy Quran, there are narrations that say, for instance, when you recite the Holy Quran, cry. And if you can't cry, then tabaka. Okay? Be sad to the point of almost crying. Pain crying. Because that in itself is going to Make your heart more tender. You're going in that right direction. You remember the whole discussion we've had? If you can't achieve fully the full standard of excellence that we're hoping for, it doesn't mean you give up. It still means try to go in that direction. Right? If you can't achieve, you still try to go there. But this is different from what these hadith are talking about. These hadith are talking about hypocrisy. These hadith are not saying someone who is really struggling to feel that khushu' in their heart, so they're trying to force themselves to feel something bodily first, physically first, so that maybe the heart becomes more tender. That's great. You get rewarded for that. This is not doing this so that people see you, the public you, doing something, being in a state that is absolutely non-existent internally in your heart. This is what the ahadith are talking about. And we'll see 
and the next narration from the Holy Prophet he talks about a little bit about this. So the consequences, we've talked a lot about the consequences of having good intentions, of having sincerity. We just saw a few hadith talking about the opposite. Here's another one. The lack of good intentions and what it leads to, some of the repercussions. Okay, the lack of sincerity and what it can lead to. So the Holy Prophet says in one of his narrations, سَيَأْتِي عَلَى النَّاسِ زَمَانِ تَخْبُثُ فِيهِ سَرَائِرُهُمْ وَتَحْسُنُ فِيهِ عَلَانِيَتُهُمْ طَمَعًا فِي الدُّنْيَا لَا يُرِيدُونَ بِهِ مَا عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ يَكُونُ دِينُهُمْ رِيَاءً لَا يُخَالِطُهُمْ خَوْفٌ يَعُمُّهُمُ اللَّهُ بِعِقَابٍ فَيَدْعُونَهُ دُعَاءَ الْغَرِيقِ فَلَا يَسْتَجِيبُ لَهُمْ So this is a narration from the Holy Prophet he says there will come a time upon the people for us to think about. Has that time come? Not yet. There will come a time upon the people when their intents or their inner selves will be corrupt. Right? So they're bad, they're evil, they're, they're vile, their intentions. And their public selves will be good. Their outer selves will be very good. Out of desire for this world. That's why they're good in appearance. Not seeking through it that good, not seeking through it that which is with their Lord. Then, so at that time, their religion will be a show. That religion that they're showing to the world is nothing but a show. And fear, fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَلَا يُخَالِطُهُمْ خَوْفٌ The fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to be part of their makeup. They don't fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you were to look in, in them, you would not find any part that is, and this part is fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no fear of God. Okay? لَا يُخَالِطُهُمْ خَوْفٌ there's no fear of God mixed with them. God shall strike them with an encompassing punishment. يَعُمُّهُمْ Allahu بِعِقَابٍ So when the punishment comes, it encompasses all of them, the people of that time. They will pray to God with the invocation of the drowning. They pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a dua of the one who is drowning. Yet, they shall receive no answer. So, first and foremost, the part, the very clear part that we're talking about, تَخْبُثُ فِيهِ سَرَائِرُهُمْ وَتَحْسَنُ فِيهِ عَلَانِيَتُهُمْ So clearly one of the consequences, we've talked about some of the consequences of good intentions, one of the consequences of bad intentions is that it is going to call to summon a iqab, a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that punishment is all-encompassing. That is, it's generalized. It touches society. Society is punished. Not the individual is punished. 
Okay? Secondly, because of those bad intentions where everyone is pretending to be good, but inwardly, there is no fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whatsoever. The second repercussion of this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stops answering the prayers of those people. Okay, very clearly, the hadith says. And when is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stops answering the prayers of people? One of the conditions is that they do not change. You are praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but your inner state has not changed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not answer your your prayer even though it may be dua al-ghariq and we'll talk about it in a second the second point is notice here that there is a collective dimension this is a social dimension those people have now generally as a society they are characterized in this way are there exceptions of course there will be exceptions and yet, when the iqab comes, it will encompass everyone. These are the social laws, the social principles that the Holy Quran talks about, that the ahadith talk about. There are principles and rules and laws that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in this world that work at the individual level. And there are some that work at a family level, at a household level. And some that work as a community level or a society level. And I would even argue as a race. Some of them have to do with how human beings deal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in general throughout history. How they've dealt with revelation, how they've dealt with prophethood, how they've dealt with imams and so on and so forth. But you see this across the board. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put laws and rules for everything where I have narrations that clearly tell us, you pray at the beginning of the month, Salat Awal al-Shahr, this is going to protect you and all those in your household, whether they pray it or not, doesn't matter. If you put that Sadaqah at the beginning of the month, it will protect you and protect the members of your household. Right? This is a collective rule. It goes beyond you. There are things that you do, no, it's only limited to, you get the benefit or you get the the disadvantage or the repercussion of it. And there are things that are much more generalized. Okay, so this is a very big topic, inshallah, in the future. We talk about this, the social dimension of our religion, inshallah. We'll come back to this topic, but this is mentioned a lot, and it works both ways. You do have situations where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saves communities, saves societies, because of a few people in them. And in fact, we have seen a narration in which the Holy Prophet told one of the companions who thought that he's better than others, he told him Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this nation victorious because of a few people, those who are weak. Because of their prayer and sincerity and invocation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved and made this nation victorious. Remember in the Holy Quran when the angels came to Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam and the story of Prophet Ibrahim and they basically told Prophet Ibrahim, we are going to descend God's wrath and punishment upon the people of the next village. What did he answer? Because he understands these rules, these collective laws of the universe. Prophet Ibrahim salam, right away he objected, or he informed at least the angels. He told them, but Lut is there. In Nafiha Luta. 
how how can the punishment come down? Lut is there. Because of this one person, the punishment will not come down. Or the Holy Quran that tells the Holy Prophet. So long as you are with them, Allah will not descend the punishment. And so long as they are asking God forgiveness, Allah will not descend punishment. Because of one person. You may be that person in a community. And we will see that inshallah in the next uh, lectures that talk about the social dimension. Okay. Another point here is that sometimes we may think when we look at these ahadith, I think we have to look at them very carefully. Sometimes we may think it's talking about society at large. I'm going to argue for this hadith specifically, I think that this hadith is not about society at large. I think this hadith is about our communities. And the reason is the hadith says the people of that time in appearance, they are all very good. If you were to generalize that to society at large, you wouldn't be able to say that. We know society is filled with corruption and deviation and all sorts of evil. So who is it that this can apply to? People that if you look at them from the outside, it all looks very good. It can only apply, I would argue, to our communities It could only apply to people Who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Who believe in religion Who can act Who can put on the show And act in the way that they are Expected to act Were they righteous Okay And then maybe the last point here is يدعونه دعاء الغريق So the Imam The, the Holy Prophet Here is saying even though they may invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala using dua al-gharik. So what's dua al-gharik? So either it's general in the sense that when someone is drowning, you are in such a desperate situation that you pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in that case you're probably going to be sincere when you pray to Allah. The Quran talks about this. So someone who's about to drown, you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you supplicate Allah to rescue you. So that's one way to understand it. And there are some narrations that talk about dua al-gharik as being a very specific dua. In fact, we even have narrations that say dua al-gharik is a, is a very short dua that you recite when you no longer have an imam towards the end of times, when you feel that you are lost and all will be lost except those who maintain this dua. Ya Allah, Ya Rahman, Ya Rahim, Ya Muqallib Al-Qulub, Thabbit Qalbi, Ala Deenik. That's dua Al-Gharik according to some narrations. Okay? In any case, this is to explain the desperate situation of those people, and yet, the Imam says, and yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will still not answer their prayers. Continuing with the spiritual consequences of good intents or sincerity is this idea that, and linking it back to the notions of basira and wisdom, the idea that you can experience your belief. You can experience your faith. That faith does not just stay at the level of theory and ideas and abstract notions. 
It's something that lives in your heart, which is different than to say something that lives in your mind. Okay? So look at this hadith from Imam Al-Kadhim alayhi salam. قال المسيح عليه السلام يا عبيد السوء نقوا القمح وطيبوه وأدقوا طحنه تجدوا طعمه ويهنئكم أكله كذلك فأخلصوا الإيمان وأكملوه تجدوا حلاوته وينفعكم غبه Okay, so Imam Al-Kadhim alayhi salam is saying the Messiah said, Prophet Jesus alayhi salam said O slaves of shame, or slaves of evil, choose the wheat well, and purify it, and grind it finely, so that you find its taste, and you enjoy eating it. Okay? In the same manner, he says, in the same manner, purify your faith, and perfect it, and you will find its sweetness. And its outcome, al-ghib, is the aqibah, the akhirah, and its outcome will be of benefit to you. Okay? A first point here is that this is something that we find a lot, especially in the narrations that we have from Prophet Isa salam, And the Bible is full of them. For those who want to go back and read, he uses parables and metaphors and analogies very figurative language, examples that really speak to those who are listening. So, inshallah, this is also a lesson for us that when we communicate anything, when we're trying to teach, when we're trying to influence, when we're trying to guide, choose the proper communication style. You have to have the right mechanism to really speak to the people. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to take the same example that Prophet Isa took Nowadays, most likely the people I'm going to be talking to are not choosing the wheat and they're not grinding it into a flour. Okay, so this may not necessarily speak to them. We have to find examples, images, symbols that are effective so that people really understand what we're trying to say. If you were simply to say that you have to be, you have to take great care in your faith and in your belief it would not be as powerful as this way of presenting it. Okay? The second point is exactly that. How much time do we actually, and how much energy do we actually put into doing what Prophet Isa salam is talking about? He's not saying have faith. He's saying that just like you take great care in preparing your meal, for instance. And so he went through all the steps with them. Most of the time, we don't go through this nowadays. But they would go through the entire process. They would go to the field, and they would pick the crops, all the way to making it into food that they can eat. So at first, he tells them about that process, and he tells them to do it well. There's nothing wrong with choosing the best food and preparing it with the utmost care that you can so that you find its taste and you enjoy it. Make it as enjoyable for you as you can. He says, but try, take that image, look at the care that you're putting into this and transpose it and apply it to your religion. 
Do you do this to your religion? Do you look at every part of it? Do you polish it? Do you take care of it? Or do you accept anything? And you accept things however they're done. Do you put the same amount of care? You perfect things. That level of perfection that whatever you care about, people care about different things. Some people care about their cars or their shoes or their watches or how they dress or their house or their food, whatever it may be, whatever you care about. I'm sure there are things that you're very polished and meticulous and perfectionist about. Use that as your criteria. Prophet Isa salam, in this teaching, he's saying apply that to your religion. Take that kind of care. Why? So that, and to me that's the line. There's a lot in there. But to me the line that summarizes everything he says, and you will find its sweetness. And this becomes the other point. That there is a sweetness in religion. There is a sweetness in faith. But we don't find it. It's like our taste buds are, are dead or asleep. There's a way to wake them up. And that starts by putting in that care. Care about your religion. Take the time to polish it, to refine it, to work at it. So that you find that sweetness. And when you find that sweetness, this is when you start understanding. How come is it that someone else can read the Holy Quran for three hours and I can't stand reading it for five minutes? How can they pray for two hours and I can't pray for five minutes? How can they put in so much work doing this thing but not that? I can't do it. Because they have, they are experiencing some sort of sweetness. When you experience sweetness, you don't need to be dragged into something. You enjoy it. In fact, you become addicted to it. No one needs to pull you to it. And if you go through the ahadith of Ahlul Bayt when they talk about different acts of worship or their states when they are in states of worship, this is very clear. They enjoy that moment. You don't need someone to push you or pull you. There's no laziness. There's no procrastination. There is. So when we find ourselves in those states, it means there's something missing. And in short, I'm going to argue it's we don't know that sweetness. This is something mentioned in a lot of ahadith and a lot of adayah. This is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deprives some people of. So we have to constantly ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we never get deprived of that sweetness. The sweetness of faith that attracts you spiritually, makes you enjoy, makes you in a state of bliss when you are performing acts of worship, for instance. The next hadith so these, very quickly, these two ahadith are about the idea that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always going to reward the attempt to be intimate with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We talked about this earlier when we talked about sincerity and what it means. And we said you basically empty your heart. As much as possible, you make your heart exclusively for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's your Objective, that's your aim, that's what you're trying to achieve Okay, and so we said to the point where we talked about this When we said there are people who dislike being thanked Dislike being rewarded or complimented by others Because they want that relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pure 
Okay, so look at these two ahadith. The first one from the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi. مُخْبِرًا عَنْ جِبْرَئِيلٍ عَنِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ أَنَّهُ قَالَ الْإِخْلَاصِ سِرٌ مِنْ أَسْرَارِ إِسْتَوْدَعْتُهُ قَلْبَهُ مَنْ أَحْبَبْتُ مِنْ عِبَادِي The Holy Prophet says, and he reports this from Jibra'il alayhi salam, who says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, Sincerity of intent is one of my secrets. I place it, or I deposit it, in the heart of those servants of mine whom I love. And so here, those who are loved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are getting an extra help, are receiving sincerity. So this is part of the how, the discussion, the last part of, the, of this series. How do we achieve it? Well, how you really achieve it is that you become someone that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves and Allah will put that in your heart. That's the answer here. That's the first point. So how do you become someone that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves? The Holy Quran says, إِن كُنْتُمْ تَحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمْ اللَّهِ If you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to love you. What do you need to do? The Holy Prophet is saying. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching the Holy Prophet, instructing the Holy Prophet to tell the people this. The example to be followed is the Holy Prophet. You want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to love you? Then follow me. فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises. You follow in the footsteps of the Holy Prophet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love you. And this brings us to, that opens a whole discussion that we don't have time for right now. But inshallah you start seeing the how all of this is connected. How can I follow in the footsteps of the Holy Prophet if I know nothing about him? I need knowledge so that I can follow in the footsteps of the Holy Prophet. Which also means I cannot commit any sins. Otherwise that's not walking in the footsteps of the Holy Prophet and so what happens if I do that? There's no sins and you follow in the footsteps of the Holy Prophet then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love you. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you He places sincerity in your heart. And all of this is a secret relationship between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, the next hadith look at the same notion but now we're looking at it from the afterlife. Imam Sadiq alayhi salam says, Ya Mufaddal, Inna lillahi ta'ala ibadan amaluhu bi khalisin min sirrih. Fa'amalahum bi khalisin min birrih. Fahumu alladhina tamurru sahaifuhum yawm al-qiyamati furraga. Fa'idha waqafu bayna yadayh, mala'aha lahum min sirri ma asarru ilayh. فقلت وكيف ذاك يا مولاي فقال أجلهم أن تطلع الحفظة على ما بينه وبينهم. So this is a narration from Imam Sadiq alayhi salam. He's talking to one of his companions, Al-Mufaddal. So he says, O Mufaddal, God Almighty has servants who have interacted with him in the purest form of secrecy. So this brings us back to the discussion we had earlier. 
about the meaning of sincerity. This is really an exclusive relationship in your heart between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so compare this with the hadith we just looked at from the Holy Prophet who says, there will come a time when religion will be nothing but for show. Okay, compare that with those people. God Almighty has servants who have interacted with him in the purest form of secrecy. So he dealt with them in the purest form of benevolence towards them. So that's the first part of the hadith. The second part, so that we understand what this means, the imam continues, those are the ones whose registers, their sahaif, their kutub, in the afterlife, when we all come with our kitab, whose registers will be empty when they are presented on the day of judgment. Okay? When they stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will fill those registers for them from the secrets with which they divulge to Him in confidence. Okay? So when they come, there's nothing written. So Al-Mufaddal says, and how is that? Why is it that? In this way, those people have nothing written. Not good, but not bad. Nothing. They're empty. And the Imam says, so he said, he considered them too great. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala considers those people too great to show the guardians. Remember the two angels we mentioned a little bit earlier? To show the guardians that which is between him and them. That's that, the secret relationship. That we say on one side, we want to aspire to that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recognizes that. The effort that you make to have a true, intimate relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through your heart. Nothing external. No one knows about this. Only you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah considers this sacred and He respects the secrecy, the intimacy, the confidence of that relationship to the point that He hides His reward for that even from your guardian angels. Even in the afterlife where the whole point is, as we said, to bless Sarair. The point is to make all hidden, everything secret, becomes apparent, divulged, exposed. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps certain things secret. Even those guardians, the Holy Quran doesn't just talk about those guardians. Surah Al-Infatar, he says, There are guardians appointed over you. Those are the two guardians. Kiraman katibin. They are noble or honorable scripts. Fully aware of everything that you do. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not want them to know the reward of those people who have that relationship with him. So he keeps that reward secret. No one knows about it. Until those people go before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he rewards them himself. We have 
about six or seven more hadith to go through for the how, but we are done with the consequences. So this is what we wanted to cover in terms of the spiritual consequences of good intentions and sincerity. So inshallah, the hadith that we want to go through, and then we will wrap up the topic of sincerity. We have a few hadith to go through simply to highlight that some narrations have given us a hint what needs to be done to achieve sincerity. How is this sincerity achievable? Okay, we've been talking about good intents and sincerity. What leads to sincerity? What can we do so that we end up with that sincerity? Inshallah, that's what we'll cover the next time we meet. And then we'll wrap up the topic before we move to the next. So if there are any questions, concerns, comments, more than happy to. Um, so the question is in certain cases there are and the example you gave sister is very good the humanitarian crisis in Yemen perhaps one of the if not the worst on the planet right now and there are people who want to help but you feel helpless and you really can't help so what do you do in those cases and where does that fit into the bigger topic that we're talking about um, so first of all we really actually have to see that whether there is something that we can do or not and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we saw there is an insistence on doing little if it is truly for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah will make it grow that's one the second answer to this is and we saw a number of hadith related to this not a lot and inshallah this is a topic we're coming back to but there were a few hadith that I think we tried to highlight the, the, the dimension of community in them. And we said that, for instance, there are hadith that say there is someone who will hear about one of their brothers, sisters, and they are in a difficulty and they wish that they could help them. And their heart is grieved that they cannot help them, but they can't help them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make those people enter paradise because of the grief that they feel in their hearts for those people. Okay? And so we linked it in both ways. We said there's a the, the community that we live with, our people, and the people we live with around the world today. This is our community. And we even linked it with people who lived in the past or who will live in the future. If you feel something for those people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, this is going to be recognized and this is going to be rewarded. Okay? So the idea that we can't do nothing, that, that doesn't exist. Dua and prayers and invocations and having sincere grief 
for others and wishing that you could do something for them is not nothing. Okay, that is something. If that is all we can do. Okay, so that that's the, uh, I think, the, the quick remark that we can give as an answer based on the hadith that we looked at, that this notion of compassion that we feel towards others is recognized and it is a form of sincerity and it links to the topic of community that inshallah we're going to drill into much more uh, in next lectures inshallah Tadla. you mentioned in the Quran when the angels tell Ibrahim peace be upon him about the rock that will descend upon the people of Luke yeah that just because of Luke himself and perhaps his daughter, um, that city was not uh, destroyed right away. And um, we see that, like you said, there, you may be, there may be one person in a community or society that will uh, stop that wrath from God to descend upon that people. And so my question is, in our present day and time, uh, there is this, um, is it relevant, is it, um, is it correct to say that since there is a Muslim in almost every corner of the world, statistically, and um, in many of the societies, even here in Western societies, you find there are cities that may be considered as uh, most evil cities in the world based on what certain people practice in their daily life. Yet you find in those societies uh, a couple or a handful of, of Muslims and or people that are servants of God sincerely. Can we say that um, the wrath of Allah has stopped in the 21st century on the world? Or uh, rather, uh, this is something that is not possible for us to, to really um, uh, fathom uh, mentally. And we just cannot tell what what is the punishment of God and what is not the punishment of God. Yeah, so very quickly, the question is uh, whether we can say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not currently punishing in the 21st century, as you said, uh, is not punishing humanity, uh, either, for instance, because there are some good people out there and sincere people out there, or is it because, for instance, uh, it is difficult for us to tell how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is punishing uh, and what does that punishment look like. So it might be taking place and we don't know. Uh, and I would say the answer is both and more. So first of all, I think um, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to exterminate a people, we would have seen that and we would say those people have been exterminated. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not exterminated a people in that way. Okay, so we haven't seen that type of punishment happen. Now, can we safely say that what is happening today in the world, or the 20th century, or the 19th century, or the 18th century, or the 25th century, when it will happen, can we safely say that none of this is a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I don't think we can say that. So I would definitely say that's why what you said, which is perhaps we're not looking at things and saying this is a punishment and this is not, there is a whole lot of misery and a whole lot of, uh, you know, however you want to call it, happening in the world that could very easily be interpreted as divine punishment. Okay? And all, all of it is very easily linked back to 
human behavior, human conduct. And the narrations are very clear. You do this, you get that. Very clear. Okay, that's the second. The third point is, are there good people in the world? We believe that, yes, there are good people in the world. And perhaps that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala holds back his wrath. We don't know why. We have no guarantee that so-and-so is good and so-and-so is not. We can base on external appearances. That's what we know. Beyond that, we also have a hadith that go a little bit beyond just those who are sincere. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may hold back the punishment. We have a hadith that say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold the punishment because there are children who are in a breastfeeding age. Innocent. Those people from that community or that society do not deserve to be punished. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may still exterminate them or he may decide to have mercy because of those children in that society. He may decide to hold back because of some old people there, because of youngsters who are trying to be good, they are trying to pray, people here and there. They're trying to reconnect. They're trying to do good in the world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may accept that. So the idea that I think is simply to say that our understanding of what good is and what holds back Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wrath and punishment may not be the criteria Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses. We know some things based on what we know and everything else we don't know. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works and how he decides to manage the affairs of the world and what the greater good is where, we can't answer that. Okay, so inshallah we meet again the next time and continue with the topic of how to achieve the sincerity. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin.